Hello. If you've not met me before, my name is Sam. With my wife Anna, we are co-leaders of Church at Barking Riverside, which is a new church plant on a new development on the side of the Thames that's been taking shape over the last year. And it's a real privilege to be able to be part of uh, this online worship with you today. Let's pray just as we start. Father God, I thank you for your love. And I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Whether we're sitting in peace and quiet or surrounded by distraction and noise, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you in this time show us more of Jesus and change us as we look at him. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at this incredible story about Jesus encountering Zacchaeus. And uh, as we do, you know, this is a, a really familiar story. And it's a story that I think sometimes uh, we dumb down a bit, maybe because of our familiarity, maybe because we take it in a slightly comedy way. We think of Zacchaeus being a bit too small to look over uh, the crowd. And so this, this rich, dignified man scrambles up a tree to see Jesus. And, and sometimes I think we dumb it down slightly. Sometimes we keep it as a, a, a nice story that shows something of the goodness of Jesus, because we know that, that Zacchaeus didn't have any friends. He was ostracized and disliked. And, but Jesus comes specifically to him, picks him out of a crowd and says, Zacchaeus, I want to eat with you today. And in one sense, it, it is an amazing story. Jesus befriends the friendless. But there is so much more going on here because, you see, if we can read this story and just have a nice, fuzzy feeling about the kindness of Jesus, we only see a, a tiny part of it. Because at the time, this story and this encounter would have been deeply, deeply offensive and incredibly provocative. But in being so, it was also incredibly powerful. And if we dig into that offence and provocation, we, we actually see something of the passion and the power of Jesus that I think we really, really need right now. When I've been praying and thinking about what it is God wants to say to us, wanted me to share the phrase that keeps coming back is this. Don't underestimate the power of looking Jesus in the face. Don't underestimate the power of that. Right now we're in a really difficult time. Lockdown has been going on for months. And even as it's easing, some of that easing raises up in us anxiety because now we've become less sure about what we can and can't do and we know that people are doing things in different ways and some of us are really nervous some of us are just fed up with it and and we're trying to navigate this unknown but also we know that we are facing long-term impact some of which many of us will be feeling incredibly personally losing jobs losing people fear and for some of us, it's a bit more distant. Things are happening to others. We know it's around. And, and for some of us, 
We can feel overwhelmed by the sense that we want to do something. We need to do something to help other people who are struggling and our compassion and our desire to act can just be overwhelming. This is a tough time because in the middle of a long-term situation, we do not have the capacity in ourselves to continually keep hopeful, keep helping, keep healthy. When we face all of this and all this is happening around us for such a long time. This is a time when we need to be reminded, and I speak to myself as much as anyone else, we need to be reminded of just who it is we worship. And just who it is who is passionately calling us to look him in the face and in seeing him to find the power, the hope, the life, the strength that we need, not only for us to get through this, but for us to be able to join in with him in finding the furthest people from him and bringing them back to where there is life and love and strength. And I think there's something in this passage, in this encounter that reminds us about Jesus. <laughs> and that's what we need to see. Don't underestimate the power of looking Jesus in the face. So let's just look at this. I want to dig into a little bit of why was this so offensive back then? You see, the Gospel of Luke is an interesting one. One theologian has described how in Luke, Jesus is always eating. He's having meals with everyone. And it's like in Luke's gospel, we, we see Jesus and he's either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's going away from a meal. And lots of his stories are all about food and meals. And, and we know that food is significant. It's significant, isn't it, for intimacy, for relationships. So a lot of us, are, our relationships started and they're definitely sustained by the way we eat together. Families that eat together, couples that eat together, friendships, all of that stuff. And it is a place of intimacy and fellowship. But, but also back in Jesus's day, it, it was more than that. There was a, a meals were significant for your identity and who you belonged to. So in the Old Testament, God gave his people rules about what they could and couldn't eat. And that was to mark them out as his people, holy and set apart for him. And so for the Jews of Jesus's day, who you ate with and how you ate identified yourself as gods or not. And who you ate with identified yourself as with them or not. And here Jesus is and he is identifying himself, uniting himself with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were incredibly offensive. You see, Israel was under Roman occupation and the Romans would collect taxes from the people uh, they they had conquered, but they would use some of the people they'd conquered to take taxes from their fellow countrymen, Jews taking taxes from Jews. And the way you became a tax collector is that you would bid against others who wanted it by telling the Romans you could get more money out of your fellow countrymen than someone else could. And then to get rich yourself, you would take even more than the Romans wanted so you could line your own pocket. That's what Zacchaeus was doing. That's what tax collectors Jesus kept on eating with were doing. But Zacchaeus was a chief one. But more than that, for Pharisees and the religiously minded, there was a bigger issue. 
Because it wasn't just about Israel versus Rome. It was about God versus Rome. Because for Pharisees, it was God who was going to set them free. Not the Israelite army. It was going to be God. If they were pure enough and prayed enough, God would move. And so to be a tax collector meant that you not only were rejecting your nation, but you were rejecting your God in favour of Rome and then extorting your fellow countrymen. And then Jesus comes, claiming to be a teacher, to tell people about God, to be the son of God and, and doing these miracles, but then eating and uniting and identifying himself with the worst of the worst. Deeply offensive. But more than that, Jesus had a go at the Pharisees. You see, Phariseeism, it was, it was a lay movement of purity. They looked at the Old Testament laws and rules of purity for the priests and for the temple around ritual washing before you ate and the things that you ate and a host of different things. And then they said, right, let's apply that to everyone. Let's all try to be as holy as the priests in the temple. In one sense, for Pharisees, their table at home became a representation of the altar at the temple. And they tried to reenact the ritual washings that would happen for the priests before they went to the altar. And Jesus comes to them and he, he has a go at them. Because the problem, one of the problems wasn't just that they ostracised tax collectors and, and non-Jews and sinners, but they ostracised the poor. You had to have quite a bit of money and quite a bit of time to be able to, uh, to adhere to all of these different rules and washings before you ate. So Jesus says to them, you guys, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you're dead inside. He was deeply offensive. And so when he comes now to this chief tax collector and wants to eat with him, the crowd can't believe it. But we've got to see what it is that Jesus wanted these, wanted the Pharisees, wanted people to recognise what he was trying to show them. First of all, they had totally lost sight of the passionate heart of God for the lost and the least. So throughout the Old Testament, God's heart is that all people would come to him. The reason that Israel was meant to be holy and set apart was to be a light to shine to all the nations so that everyone could see, oh, look, those guys show us what God is like. To draw people back to him. That was his heart all along. And throughout the Old Testament, he's passionate about justice for the poor and the orphan and the widow. And the Pharisees are missing all that. So in Luke 15, when they're having a go at him again for, for spending time with tax collectors, Jesus tells the stories of the lost coin, the lost sheep and the lost son. And in all of them, they end up with something valuable being lost. And when it's Found after a passionate search, there's a great big party. And the lost son is one that we know really well, isn't it? Sometimes we call it the prodigal son. That, that that youngest son wanted his inheritance, basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. And then he wastes it in the worst possible way. Comes back saying, I'm not worthy to be a son, but only to be a slave. And the father doesn't even listen to his apology, but races to him, embraces him, establishes him back as son. Says, you were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, now you're found. And throws a party. That is the passionate heart of God. 
And so at the end of this passage, this encounter with Zacchaeus, when all the crowd have said to him, what are you doing? Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And that is such an uh, uh, important thing for us to remember, this passion in Jesus for the lost and the least, partly for ourselves right now. For many of us, if we're honest, at this moment now, We've used our reserves and in our tiredness, in the pressure, in the disappointment and the anxiety, in maybe our our loss, significant loss, we have this tape playing about how rubbish we are and how far from God and, and how hopeless it is. And you need to hear that Jesus is passionate about seeking you. One of the things I love about this story with Zacchaeus One of the reasons it's a bit of a climax of these different encounters is is partly because Zacchaeus represents an extreme version of the tax collector, the the blind, the wealthy man that Jesus has encountered before, but also because we see something slightly different in Jesus. You see, the blind man shouted and shouted for Jesus to come over to him. The leper approached Jesus. The, um, The rich young ruler approached Jesus. But Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. Yeah, Zacchaeus was hungry enough to climb up that tree, but he was still at a distance. But Jesus, surrounded by a crowd, walks right to his tree, looks him in the face, speaks out his name. And do you hear the urgency in his words? Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must eat at your house today. There is passionate urgency. Why? This guy is the furthest from Jesus. So Jesus is passionately pursuing him. The further you are, the more hungry you are, the more broken, the more weak, the more need you have, the more passionate Jesus pursues you and longs to eat with you. But then the Pharisees had missed something else. They missed the heart of God, his passion for the poor. They missed something else. They missed that God had come. Who is Jesus? Whose face did Zacchaeus look at? Not a good teacher. That's what the rich young ruler says. He comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus wanted him to realise that he was talking to God, not just a teacher. And it's interesting that this is in Jericho. Jericho is the place back in the Old Testament when Joshua and the Israelites first crossed the Jordan, about to take the promised land before they had their first victory at Jericho. Joshua encounters the angel of the Lord and he says to the angel, whose side are you on? Our side or someone else's? And the angel says, no one. I'm the captain of the Lord's army. It was a manifestation of God encountering Joshua saying, don't you try and put me on sides. I'm God. You don't attach me to your team. You don't connect me to your philosophy. You bow down and worship and you offer all that you are to me. And then I can do more in you and through you than you can ever imagine. 
That's what Jesus was wanting people to see. You see, the Old Testament holiness laws, they were, they were good because they pointed out we needed to be holy to come to God. We can't do it on our own strength. But they always promised that a time was coming when God would transform, change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, write laws that were on tablets into our hearts and minds, transform us by his presence. And now Jesus is here and when he touches the leper, he doesn't catch leprosy. He doesn't get made unclean. No, the leper catches holiness and healing from him. And Jesus is trying to say, Pharisees, don't you see? Maybe what you were doing would have been an extreme version a long time ago, but made some sense. But no, now Jesus, I'm here. Now God is here. This is the time we pursue the least and the lost, the most broken, the furthest away, because now I'm here to set them free and bring them home. But you've got to see that I'm God. And so Jesus passionately calls Zacchaeus down. And then Zacchaeus, more than the rich young ruler, more than the Pharisees, more than the crowd, Zacchaeus realises whose face he is looking at. He sees that this is Jesus. And so when the crowd are getting angry and grumbling, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, look, Lord. Jesus, not look, teacher, not look, rabbi. Look, Lord. Right now, I give away half my possessions. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, Pay them back four times as much. Exactly the challenge made to the rich young ruler who had been adhering all the rules, but he couldn't do it. Now Zacchaeus has seen that Jesus is Lord, that he's God, and he transforms something in him. So suddenly he gives away what he was hanging on to. And in doing that, Jesus says, see, this day salvation has come. You know, many of us, for ourselves, we are praying for salvation. For something to save us and change this situation and make it okay. Let me ask you, what are you relying on? How would you finish this sentence? It will be okay when. When what? What needs to happen for everything to be okay? When the virus goes away? When you've got job security? When your relationships are restored, when you're feeling healthy, what needs to happen? If the answer to that is not, it will be okay when I see Jesus and he meets with me. If that's not our answer, then we are looking for something that we are hoping we or someone else can do for us. And if it's not Jesus, it won't work and we can't rely on it. But the incredible promise is this, if it is Jesus, as much as you are longing for him, he is passionately pursuing you and he is longing to meet with you. So meet with him and in that place he can transform us, pour in hope and life and grace and identity and all that we need for this moment right now. But there's more. 
What are our neighbors? What are our community? What are people in households right across this nation and others longing for and trusting in to save them? Because Jesus is their savior too. Passionate about them too. And he is pursuing them. And if we will come to him and look him in the face and allow him to change us, in that place, he will change who we are and draw us into his searching and seeking them too. It's an incredible promise, but the challenge is that we come to him with our need and our sense of lack and our desire for him to do something. And what he requires of us is our submitting all that we have to him. In one sense, when we see him for who he is, rather than saying, can you do that? Can you do this? Can you do the other God? We say, Jesus, have it all. It's not much. It's messed up. It's pretty dirty. But this is what I've got and who I am. And you can have it to do what you want. I long to see us as the church meeting needs and reaching out. I long to see us as the church be a voice of hope. But all of that is the fruit of us as the church fixing our eyes on the face of Jesus. If you do one thing in response to this talk, I would ask you, fix your eyes on Jesus's face. And that might look like different things. That might mean going to scripture and reading scripture. It might mean getting away in your room on your own. It might mean walking out in nature somewhere. It might mean just putting worship on and worshiping away, whatever it is. You know, maybe think if you've not encountered God for quite a while maybe think when was the last time I encountered him and, and just do that again it's as good a place as any to start but we've got to be a people who prioritize encountering Jesus and looking him in the face now more than ever and let everything else flow from there I'm not saying it's easy will say that he is God and he will move. So let's meet with him. Amen.